So over these past few weeks, we've been going through the book of Galatians verse by verse, and Paul has been dealing with these Judaizers who have been talking to the churches of Galatia, dealing with this idea of heresy that's been spread amongst the churches. And this heresy is not anything that we're unfamiliar with because it's this idea of human performance is somehow a pathway to God. If I do A and B and then God will accept me and then I will continue to do A and B and C and this is the kind of the formula and this kind of formula-driven ideology was being bought into by these people who had already received Christ. These people had already come to faith in Christ and they were experiencing the freedom and the joy of serving Jesus. And now all of a sudden there's this other version of the gospel that says, yes, Jesus, but also become a Jewish practitioner in a religious sense. And so they wanted them to be circumcised. They wanted them to eat a kosher diet. They wanted them to uh, celebrate all the festivals and all of the different calendar events within uh, Judaism and follow the law to uh, the, the furthest extent. And they thought, well, if you are circumcised, you do all these other things, then you're good. And so Paul was railing against this. And we're going to continue in Galatians chapter 5 today, where he begins to talk more about freedom, because Christ does bring freedom to our lives here on earth. But also, serving Christ adds the tension of limits to our freedom because of love. So there's this idea of tension. And in Scripture, we can't be afraid of things that bring tension. And this is our problem, I think, often as Americans, is that we want everything to be formula-driven. I want to know the process. I want to know the steps, the 10 steps of how to be a Christian, the 10 steps and the ABCs and all those different things. We try to come up with a formula, come up with a system, come up with something to kind of think uh, in, 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 these, in, in these terms where there's these guardrails for us that make us feel somewhat safe and like this is controlled and we can understand it according to our ideology. But what we don't like is we don't like tension because we want to figure it out. But here's the problem with Eastern thinking, ancient Eastern thinking people loved to deal and think in tension-filled pairs. And man, if there's anything Americans don't like, it's tension-filled pairs because we, we go this or that, or that. And we're asking a question when we say that. We'll say, is it this or is it that? And an ancient Eastern thinker would say this or that, absolutely. <laughs> And that drives us nuts because it doesn't make sense in our mind because we don't like tension. We want to have it figured out. We're black and white. We're, we're this or that. And the tension-filled pairs of this idea. And Scripture is filled with tension-filled pairs. And it's stuff that splits churches, unfortunately, in America because we're so black and white. But yet there are these tension-filled pairs. And so there's this tension around the idea of surrender and freedom because when I think about surrendering to Christ, it sounds like I'm giving up. It sounds like I'm actually losing my rights. And that's absolutely true. I am surrendering. I am giving up my rights. But also, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. That is true as well. <laughs> and so there's this idea of freedom and surrender. And it doesn't make sense because I don't know about you, but if the police show up and I have to, you know, hands up, you know, I have to surrender, I'm giving up my rights and I'm losing some things, but yet there's also freedom in Christ. And so Paul deals with this tension between freedom and love and grace and the limits that we experience that we have in the freedom that we have in Christ. So let's go over to Galatians 
chapter 5. And it's going to be some familiar things that we've dealt with. If you've been here for this series, it's these same concepts that he's still unpacking here about this idea that the Judaizers are coming in and preaching this heretical um, gospel, if it were good news, but it's not. Verse uh, 1, chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And so what Paul is calling slavery in this instance is he's talking about this idea of submitting yourself to the law being on par with you submitting yourself to um, the way that you used to be enslaved to sin. He's saying it's basically the same idea, and we unpacked that and talked about that last week. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Now, what he's saying here, he's not saying circumcision in and of itself is bad. What he's saying is that if you're looking at the covenant sign of circumcision that was given between God and Abraham, if you look at that covenant practice, that sign as a pathway to be in right standing with God, he's saying you're missing the point. If you think that just by going through this act that you are now someone who is justified in right standing with God because of this thing that you've done, you're missing the point. He said, because if you're going to go that pathway, then you have to be obligated to the rest of the things that are attached to that pathway. You can't just say, I want to be circumcised, and then boom, I'm in, I'm good because I've gone through this practice. He's saying, no, all the other things that are attached to that way of thinking you have to follow as well. You can't just pick this one thing out and say, I'll do this and then I'm good. No, it's you have to do this and all the other things attached to it. So he said, you have to, you're obligated. Verse three, he says, you're obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. So he's saying, listen, you, Christ actually has a different pathway to be justified in the eyes of God. And there's this pathway that the Judaizers are promoting. And they're talking about the law. They're talking about circumcision. They're trying to get you to convert to their way of thinking and to their practices. He said, if you want to go down that path, you can't do that and follow Christ. He said, you can't trust in Christ and trust in that. Because he says here that you are severed from Christ. You who would want to be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. So he's saying circumcision, uncircumcision. He said, this doesn't matter. He said, only faith working through love. Because if you go back to the story of Abraham, back in Genesis... And you see where God first introduced this concept of circumcision as a sign of a promise, as a sign of a covenant, as a sign to Abraham. The reason that Abraham went through this practice and had his family and his servants and all of them go through this practice wasn't because the practice itself put them in right standing with God. It was because of faith in the promise. It was the faith in the promise, not faith in the act. The act just showed that I did have faith in the promise because I was willing to obey and trust, not putting my faith in the act. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but I, you might want to underline this. Only faith 
working through love. You were running so well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. And so Paul is wanting whoever it is promoting this other gospel to actually be penalized in some way. I don't know what he's wanting to have him experience, but he's saying, hey, I hope, I hope that whoever is behind all of this Man, I, I, I hope that he will bear the penalty who's troubling you. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. This is pretty strong language. It's been a while since I've said, man, that person needs to go emasculate themselves. <clears throat> I haven't said that about anybody lately, anyways. Um, but this is how serious this is to Paul. This is what he's trying to communicate. This is bringing weight to this idea of the gospel being in Christ and in Christ alone. Verse 6 is the entire argument. Verse 6 is where I want us to focus on. I told you earlier to underline it. Where it says, only faith working through love. It's not circumcision or uncircumcision. People will argue, well, I've done this, I've done that, I've followed this, I've followed that, I've checked this box, I've checked that box. And Paul's saying, it doesn't matter. All that matters is, did you have faith, and was that faith anchored and grounded in love? Let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and let's look at this. Uh, same, same writer, um, Paul, he's talking to the Corinthians, and he's dealing with them about spiritual gifts. And there's a lot of confusion around spiritual gifts back then just as there is today. You would think 2,000 years later we would have figured something out. But there's still the same problems that they were having at the Corinthian church that we have today. People misunderstand spiritual gifts. Some people elevate one gift above another. Some people are like, this is the supreme gift. I do this gift more than others. Or this gift makes me somehow super spiritual. Or everybody has to do things this way or follow this pattern or this formula. And Paul is trying to bring some correction to the Corinthian church concerning spiritual gifts. Primarily around the gift of speaking in other tongues or other languages. This gift was given on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And so this gift was given for the proclamation of the gospel to those who have not yet heard. And it also has this spiritual, mysterious part to it about this edifying or building up oneself that Paul alludes to in 1 Corinthians. And so he's talking to them about all these spiritual gifts, but the two that are the most abused in the church of their day was the gift of speaking in tongues or other languages, and the second one is prophecy. And so he's trying to help them understand these two specifically. And so he really focuses and hones in on them. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Well, hang on before, before we read that, before we read that. I want you to get this, okay? We love 1 Corinthians 13, don't we? Oh, man, we love it. Oh, and we should love it because it's about love. Hobby Lobby has made millions off of 1 Corinthians 13. I mean, so... So many weddings, you probably, a lot of you in this room and watching online, a lot of you have probably had 1 Corinthians 13 read at your wedding, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's good, it's good, but in the context, which is what matters, right? Context matters, amen, somebody? 
in 1 Corinthians 13, the context or the reason that 1 Corinthians 13 even exists is because Paul is addressing the issue of the misuse of spiritual gifts. And he talks about spiritual gifts in chapter 12 real strongly, even names a, a short list of different gifts from the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 14, he does some of the same things where he begins to talk about spiritual gifts over there. And, and in 13, he talks about love. So, huh, what's the deal with that, Paul? Like, did he just kind of want to just write about love? No, he's still talking in 13 about spiritual gifts. 12, 13, 14, it's all one continual thought. Paul's not just having a moment to give you some wedding material, okay? <laughs> he's, he, he's, he's weaving it all together, all right? So 1 Corinthians 13, he's talking about spiritual gifts in the context, and here's what he says, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, and I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, if I understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge, if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, and I have not love, I gain nothing. So Paul, in the context of talking about spiritual gifts, and he rattles off a few that he mentioned in chapter 12. I would encourage you to go back and read that at some point. He's letting them know that these gifts, listen, if they don't have love, they are nothing. Now go back to Galatians chapter 5, and let's look at verse 6 where he says, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love you see what he's doing he's trying to elevate this idea of self-sacrificing selfless love the type of love that christ showed to you and i has to be the motivator has to be the driving force it can't be look at the spiritual thing i can do it can't be look at how spiritual i am it can't be look at how well i follow the jewish law and celebrate all the festivities look at how well i exercise this spiritual gift or that spiritual gift boy it sure does make me spiritual it sure does elevate me anything like that is not being done in love and so whether it's spiritual gifts or whether it's following the law he said listen what really matters is faith that is grounded and rooted in love you see biblical freedom is freedom from not freedom to i want us to understand there is a difference because someone would say well i'm free in christ and that can mean i i can do whatever i want and that's not what freedom in christ really means because there is a big difference between freedom from and freedom to you are free in christ and christ has set you free but i want you to understand i'm free from sin i'm not free to do whatever i want however i want whenever i want Christ has set me free from sin. I am no longer a slave. I am no longer obligated to sin. I am no longer obligated to live my life according to this selfish, self-driven value system that is rooted and anchored in desires that are going to lead me away from godliness, not towards God, not towards bringing him honor and glory. And so we must understand what we're freed from because now that I'm truly free in Christ, here's what I do with my freedom. Here's what someone who's free in Christ does. They die to themselves. 
we actually die to our own will. We actually die to our own desires. And we replace those things with what glorifies God. So in my freedom, I choose to limit my behaviors because I am now motivated by love. And so it's not a list of what I can do and can't do. It's not a new set of rules and obligations. No, my heart has been changed. Christ has changed me from the inside. I am a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And because I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus, that includes my desires. It includes now the way that I'm thinking as I'm learning to have my mind renewed and to think like Christ, to put on Christ And when I think in line with Christ and with his will, it's changing me. I'm growing. And the more that I'm growing, I'm learning day by day to die to myself and to live for the glory of God. I'm living for his glory now. And isn't it interesting that the Christian calls that freedom? It's kind of confusing if you think about it, if you're not a believer. If you're not a Christian, you're saying, really? You're going to give up all of your rights You're going to give up all of your selfish desires. You're going to crucify your flesh. None of that sounds fun. Crucify my flesh, that doesn't sound fun. Feed my flesh, that sounds fun, right? Do whatever I want, that sounds fun. Do what I want to do, how I want to do it, when I want to do it, that sounds fun. Me looking for all of how my life can be easier, how people can, uh, you know, look towards me more and, and, and be more appreciative and look at all the great things I've done and celebrate me, all of those things. That sounds much better than crucify your flesh. Crucify your flesh sounds like limits. Crucify your flesh sounds like, you know, the word crucify just implies pain, right? <laughs> I mean, when we think about the word crucify, there's pain involved, there's death involved. That doesn't sound like freedom, but we are free in Christ. And so in our freedom, we choose to die daily to our self, to our selfless, to our selfish desires and put on selflessness, put on Christ. It's very interesting because it's very different in how the world would would describe freedom because they would say, yes, I'm free to do what I want to do. Actually, in um, Satanism, it's one of the very first commands, do what you want to do, do what thou wilt. And that shows that our world is driven by that. Our human nature is driven by that before we have experienced Christ. When we experience Christ, now all of a sudden, he has come and he has done away with what was old, and now it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is good news because now I am in right standing with God. I am justified in the eyes of God. How? By faith. That faith, it's working in love. It's doing something in me. It has changed me. It has made me new. And now I am hid in Christ. And now it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives within me. It's now greater is he who's in me than he that's in the world. Amen? You see, this is bigger than what a lot of mainstream voices would want to pander Christ as. Because a lot of people would try to say, Christ is there to help make your life better. And sometimes on this earth, being a Christian, there are things that God does and intervenes in that it's a lot better 
because I'm serving Jesus. Man, there's been miracles I've experienced in my life where there's been physical healing or there's been things happen that have brought a great just, just assurance of, of his presence with us. And I'm so thankful for those times and those moments here on this earth. But hey, I'm not following Jesus because Jesus gets me my American dream. Amen or oh me. Some people think and some people pander Christ in that way. Some people use Christ as follow Jesus and you'll have all your problems drift away. Let me tell you something. Since I've become a Christ follower and begun to understand that, actually there are different problems I experience. <laughs> and it's not about all my problems being gone away. And Jesus never promised that. Jesus actually said the world is going to hate you and it's going to be my fault. Jesus said that. Jesus said the world is going to despise you. And it's going to be for my sake. Don't be surprised when they do that. Friends, can I tell you that we have brothers and sisters who are not American, who don't experience the same type of social and, 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 and freedoms that we have as a nation. And can I tell you that they are literally dying for the cause of Christ? I got a message just this morning. I woke up to this. No joke. I got this message this morning from a friend of mine in India. And he was telling me, that in the village that they were just ministering to a few weeks ago, there was a young lady who actually was burned alive because of her faith in Christ. She would not renounce her faith in Christ. And he said, please pray for the village. They're shook by this. Please, please pray for the family. Please pray for the church. All of these things. There's a lot of talk. There's a lot of fear. And these people killed her because of her declaration in Christ. Something that we broadcast on the internet, you know, freely. And none of us are going, man, I sure hope I don't get killed for this today. None of us are afraid of that. But yet there are people who live under that type of threat. So understand, Christianity is not your pathway to just make your life easy and free of cares and free of all these challenges. There will be challenges, but he will not leave you or forsake you. Amen? Because the Christian understands something. I'm living in light of eternity. I'm not living to store up treasures here on earth. I'm not here trying to just get everything I want here on earth and do everything I want here on earth. Instead, I am here to live for the glory of God. And that means that if things go my way, it's for the glory of God. And if things don't go my way, it's still for the glory of God. Because he never stops being good and he never stops being enough. Ever. Ever. And so I praise God when the miracle comes through and the breakthrough comes through here on earth because I don't want that pain any more than you want it. I don't want that difficulty any more than you want it. But here's what I know. God is good whether I get my miracle here on earth or not because my eternal destination is not contingent upon what happens here on this earth. I am going to be with him and enjoy him and glorify him forever. And so I want to start now. Amen? I want to start now, and so I have to get my eyes focused on the right things and not look at Jesus as a proverbial Santa Claus to get me everything that I want here on earth. That was not in any of my notes. <laughs> I'm going, well, how did you get there, Derek? Bring it back. Where were you, bro? <laughs> Sacrificial, self-denying, selfless, giving love. It drives the Christian's priorities and decisions. This is that love that Paul was talking about to the Corinthian church. This is the love that he's talking about right here in Galatians 5 and 6. It's the same thing. 
He's saying, listen, this truth has to be grounded and anchored in love. This faith that you have has to be grounded and anchored in love. These gifts that you have has to be grounded and anchored in love. Because all these other things are going to pass away. You can read later on in 1 Corinthians 13. All these other things you've been worried about, man, it's all going to cease. It's all going to stop one day. We haven't come there yet. We still need those things. It's still good. God is still moving in the earth. And so those things aren't done away with. So he's still using those gifts. He's still using people in that way. But at the end of the day, love's never going to pass away. Love is going to endure because love never fails. Amen? Everything else is going to pass away, but love is not going to pass away. But we are slaves. We are servants. While we are here on earth, we are sons and daughters in Christ who are free. So isn't this an interesting juxtaposition here? Is that we are, we are now slaves. Yes. What does that slave mean? It means a person without rights. I have chosen in my freedom to give up my rights to follow and serve Jesus Christ. I have surrendered. I surrender all. It's not just something that gives me the feels because I like that old jam, right? I surrender all. No, if you think about it, I'm saying I surrender all. What does all mean in that song? It means everything. <laughs> the word all literally means all. I'm surrendering all. But at the same time, I can sing in the same worship service. I surrender all and, and I can sing about my freedom. And he who the sun sets free is free indeed. Isn't that interesting? I can sing the same two songs, but man, that messes with my head because I don't know how to live in the tension of that. That's a tension-filled pair. That's this idea of surrender and being a servant of the Most High, taking my servant's town, but I'm also free. You see, I'm not doing it begrudgingly. I'm not doing it with, with a chip on my shoulder. I'm not doing it angrily. I'm not doing it because, well, I'm supposed to. I'm doing it joyfully, willingly obediently because i'm doing it for the glory of god amen let's keep reading verse 13 after paul wished those guys would emasculate themselves here we go all right <laughs> for you were called to freedom brothers understand something about the word brothers anytime that you see the word brothers in paul's writings he is he, he's, he's putting a marker in there okay this will help your study it's a marker where he's he's about to bring in a point of emphasis this brother's acts he's not just saying hey bro <laughs> you know <laughs> like he he's putting a textual marker in there so pay attention when you see brothers because things are going to pivot a little bit he says you're called to freedom brothers only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself he's talking about deuteronomy 6 here the prayer of the shema he's also talking about jesus who quoted the shema when he was asked what's the greatest commandment teacher and jesus says love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength second is like it love your neighbor as yourself on these two hinge all the law so he's reiterating that same idea verse 15 but if you bite and devour one another watch out that you're not consumed by one another isn't this interesting you see, we're free from the obligation to pursue sin and now pursue love as defined by God, which results in us serving one another. So if we're really pursuing love, and if we're really people of faith, then there's going to be the fruitfulness from it, right? It's going to be these results of this freedom that we're living in. And he's telling them, listen, you're called to freedom, so don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. 
Don't look at it as, oh, I can just have my sin credit card filled up and then just have Jesus pay the bill and I can just live my life however I want to. No, this isn't your opportunity for the flesh. He said, instead, let love ground you and anchor you and now serve one another because this is how you're going to actually fulfill the law. So Jesus, remember, he said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill it, right? Jesus said, I came to show you what it's really all about. And it's the same idea here. He's saying, this is how you, as a Christian, fulfill the law. Because it's not like, nope, done with the law, that's gone. No, he's saying, here's the purpose of the law. Here's how the Christian fulfills the law. Not through looking at circumcision as a pathway to righteousness. Not through looking at eating a kosher diet as a pathway to righteousness. Instead, it's actually by serving one another. And by keeping all those things anchored in love. And not using even your serving as a checklist. You know, well, I serve more than that guy. <laughs> you know, you see how many times I accept it on planning center? <laughs> you know, <it's> just... <laughs> I see they're always blocking out on planning center. They must uh, not be as good of a Christian as I am. Those of you who are in our serve system and use planning center understand that joke. Those of you who don't are like, what is planning center? Get involved in serve team today. <laughs> <laughs> He says that he, he, he's talking about this idea of if we're not loving and serving one another, then we're going to have a tendency to do something else. What's that tendency? He said we're going to have a tendency to bite each other and devour each other. Anyone who's hung around church longer than five minutes knows a little bit about that, right? Because when we're not walking in love towards one another, man, we can be really nasty. And it's really sad. But it's true of all humanity. But he's saying you're walking out of step with love when you do that. You're biting each other instead, and you're devouring one another. He's talking about people in church. He's not talking about unbelievers here. He said brothers. Remember? At the textual marker, he said, brothers, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but instead use it to serve one another, lest you go and bite each other and devour one another. You see, if we bite and consume one another, we're not as mature of Christians as we thought we were. We're actually immature people who are serving our own agenda. He's talking to the church because people bite and wound one another in church over money, over tenure, over methodology, over control. See, we speak a radical Christian message and we get in this drift where we start to live American individualism. The world, the world comes to God by the way those who claim to know God live their lives. Oh, let me say that slow so I can say that some more. Somebody was sleeping. The world comes to God by the way those who claim to know God live their lives. Amen. We are representatives of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5 and 20 and 21. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors. We are representatives for Christ. And if the world is going to come to Christ by the way we live our lives out in the world, are we anchored and grounded and rooted in love or are we biting and devouring one another because of our own individualistic mentality, because of our individualism, because of our meism, because of our selfishness. And we haven't died to ourselves. We're still very much trying to do what we want to do, and we haven't surrendered, truly. But yet we think that we're mature because of tenure. We think we're mature because of all of the things that we've done. We've got all of our Awana badges. You should see them. They're displayed in the mantelpiece at home, you know? <laughs> We've got all of our uh, Bible trivia trophies, yeah? 
We've got all of our, you know, memory verses memorized. We've taught Sunday school class, or we've led a group, or we've done this or done that. And we somehow feel that we are mature because we've accomplished all these things, and we've served in these positions, and we've done all of these things. None of that stuff matters when it comes to measuring maturity. None of it matters. It doesn't matter how many spiritual gifts you have, what all you've used them for, all of those things. It doesn't matter. You know what matters? Love. He says right here, do you have faith, and is that faith grounded and anchored in love? This is what the mark of a mature believer is because actually it's me serving, not me polishing my trophies in my trophy case. Amen, church? You see, the world comes to God by the way those who claim to know God live their lives. It is our responsibility to represent Christ well by the way that we love and by the way that we serve. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So now he's going to tell you how to live it out. He's going to tell you how to do this here. He says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. And the reason they're opposed to each other is because they're trying to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And then he begins to go through some of these ideas of the works of the flesh. He said, they're evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, so I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, listen to this church, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. He kind of wraps up that idea of talking about biting and devouring one another. You see, good fruit does not grow on bad trees, right? It's not a bad, unhealthy tree and magically produces good fruit. And bad fruit doesn't grow on good trees. That's not how it works. This is pretty elementary. We understand this. So we cannot obtain godliness through intense discipline of man's effort. And Paul is not upset here at their pursuit of godly living. He's telling the Galatians that the fruit or the evidence of the Spirit, that it causes godly living. And there is a difference. It's not me trying harder to do better. It's instead me pursuing the heart of God, and he's changing me from the inside, and what comes out is good. Because he's doing something in me, and then that life that flows through me now that I'm living, it's now producing the right kind of fruit. Here's our big idea for today. Deepening our dependence upon Christ produces Christ-like character in us. And here's the challenge that you and I face. Oh, man. Does anybody have a soapbox by chance? Could I borrow it for just a minute? Because I want to stand on one. I've never stood on a soapbox, but I hear that that's what I'm about to do. (laughs) I'm getting on my soapbox. Just a box, any soap will do. I'm not particular about the brand. I don't care. So if you've got one, bring it to me. I'd appreciate it. 
big idea is deepening our dependence upon Christ produces Christ-like character in us. The challenge for us is that we want to start with the fruit and we don't want to deal with the root. The problem with us is that we want to teach character. We want to teach character, but you can't teach character without Christ. Oh, let me say that again because some of you are sleeping on me and you're like, what? You can't teach character without teaching Christ. Otherwise, you're putting so much pressure upon someone who is unregenerate, someone who does not have the Spirit of God living on the inside of them to do something that only the Spirit can really do. And that is change a heart. You're asking an individual to somehow take the onus upon themselves to correct their depravity. You're asking them to correct something that has been passed down from generation to generation since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. And you're saying, you try to fix this, and I'm going to teach you how to do it. Here's some nice character qualities you need to try harder to do better at. And we write books about it. We, we try to work through the human psyche to get to the root of the problem. And all of man's wisdom always ends up coming short. No matter how disciplined we are, no matter how hard we try, we can't get it right when we try to go backwards dealing with the fruit and not dealing with the root. I did this example one time when I was preaching on fruits of the Spirit and good fruits and things like that at um, the church that I pastored in Wisconsin. And I made my daughter upset. I'll never forget this. She was little. I went and bought a, a bag of Granny Smith apples, the green apples. And I, just a few days before I preached this sermon, I beat the apples up. Like, I mean, I just like hit them on the counter. I stabbed them with a knife. Oh, she said, Dad, what are you doing to those apples? I said, I need them to look gross, okay? And I was just like whacking them on the counter, denting them up, you know. And I was trying to do anything I could do to really make them look really bad. And then a few days later, they had these bruises all over. They look gross. And I brought those gross-looking apples out in front of the church. And I said, guys, I said, you see this? fruit. I said, who wants to take a delicious bite of this fruit? And everybody's like, no thanks, right? And I said, but here's what we do as Christians. And I had a bucket of green paint, and I painted on the apple. And I said, now who wants to take a bite? I've just tried to fix the fruit. And then I had a bottle. It was a bottle of Jesus juice. And you can buy this at like the Dollar Tree. <clears throat> um, it's a bottle it's a bottle of spray. It, it was just water, and I sprayed it on there. So I got some Jesus juice. It needs some, this fruit needs some Jesus spray. And I sprayed some Jesus spray on it, tried to clean it up real nice. I said, it's just not working. You see, at the end of the day, I can mask it. At the end of the day, I can try to clean it up. But I'm dealing with the character, and I'm not dealing with the root of the problem. Right? Are you getting this today? You see, the fruit of the Spirit is the evidence. It's the result of the Spirit in you. It's not something we try harder to do better, to get better at. It's the fruit of the Spirit of God. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. It's all of these things. And that's evidence that the Spirit of God resides and lives on the inside of you. And so as we grow in love and as we grow really, oh, here we go. I'm going to say it. As we grow in submission, there, I said it, to the Spirit of God, and we give up our rights, there's actually freedom in that. There's freedom in that. Because now all of the junk that comes along with sin, all of the baggage that I've been carrying around, that I've been holding on to, oh, I can now be freed from that. 
oh, I'm free from sin. I'm free from that guilt. I'm free from that shame. I'm free from all that because Christ has set me free. And now the life that I now live by faith, I live by faith in the Son of God who died, who gave himself for me, who took all of that punishment that I deserved on himself so that I could live as a free person, so I could now be a part of this family, so I could be adopted and brought in as a son, as a daughter, as an heir, amen? Pursuing the heart of God through prayer, through scripture, and through surrender to the spirit of God, it produces the fruit of the spirit in our lives. And I want the fruit of the spirit to be produced in my life. How about you? Amen. Woo. All right. We should all want the fruit of the spirit produced in our life, but it's not going to be working from the fruit to the root. You see, it's going to be at the heart level. The only way that I can surrender my heart to Jesus is by me deepening my dependence upon him and knowing his heart more. That's really what it boils down to. And so how do I deepen my dependence on him? Well, one solid way to deepen your dependence on Christ is through prayer. If you have a prayer life that is weak, it's time to ramp that thing up because the more you pray, it is more you are declaring, Jesus, I don't have this and I need you. Where you're praying, where you're deepening your dependence upon him. Start with the Lord's Prayer. Think about those elements within the Lord's Prayer. You start off by praising and magnifying God. Think about how you're declaring his how you're declaring him as holy, hallowed be your name, and how you want his kingdom to come, and how you want his will to be done on earth in your life, just as it is in heaven, and you don't want there to be any difference. You don't want to be going a different route. I want what you want. Lord, help me to want that. And then give me everything that I need to sustain me, to take care of me, my daily bread, right? If you don't know where to start, start with the Lord's Prayer. Think about those elements and begin to develop, to deepen that prayer life because you're deepening your dependence on God. And then fill your heart and your mind with the scriptures. If you fill your heart and your mind with the scriptures, now you are feeding your spirit, not your flesh. And when you feed your spirit, all of a sudden, now you're putting the things of God in you and it's resonating with God's spirit that's already on the inside of you. You want to know what prayer and scripture reading is not going to resonate with? Your flesh doesn't like it, wants to sleep. Wants to stay away from it, wants to just spend hours on the phone, not doing anything, right? Doesn't want to spend that time. And it, there's all these distractions that exist. But man, when I begin to spend time in prayer, when I begin to spend time in the Word, my heart begins to long for the things of God. It begins to, begins to change something in me at a very deep level. And now all of a sudden I'm chasing after the heart of God and after the things of God. And I, that, it, that pursuit, it ends up in just more and more surrender. Because I'm growing and knowing his heart, growing and knowing who he is, growing and knowing his character. Go over to John 15. This is the last scripture I'll share with us today. John 15. We'll read the first five verses. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Why? That it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because the words I've spoken to you abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, what does he say? You can do nothing. 
<laughs> who you really are confirms who your father is. Remember the story where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and they're like, we're of our father, Abraham. And Jesus is like, no, you're not. You're of your father, the devil. Whoa, poo, not making friends, Jesus. They said they're of their father, Abraham. He said, no. He said, because if you really did what your father wanted, he said, you would know who I was. You would know who I am. If you were really chasing after the heart of the father, and if your father really was Abraham, because he was a man of faith, you would know who I am. You wouldn't be so opposed to me. You would already see it. But no, you're, you're of your father, the devil. And Jesus said this to those Pharisees. He said, he's been a liar from the beginning. He said, you brood of vipers, you sons of snakes. Jesus, making friends. He's letting them know you guys are lying. So who you really are reveals who your father is. We are called to go into all the world and make disciples, not just decisions. We cannot separate becoming a Christian from being a Christian. Too many people pray a prayer, get baptized, take communion, attend church, and they look at Christianity as my ticket is punched and now I'm going to hit the cruise control button. But it's the same faith in Christ that saves us. It's the same faith that produces fruit in us. And as we grow, we surrender and deepen our dependence upon Christ. Because to live fruitful freedom, we must surrender willingly and allow the gospel to shape us. So what is the Holy Spirit asking you to surrender today, church? What is the gospel of Jesus reminding you that you need to let go of control over? Because you're free. Now surrender to him and let love drive and shape your life. Father, help us to submit, to see your goodness, to trust in you, to declare you as Lord and Savior. You are the one who set us free. Help us walk out that freedom through our surrender, through our trust, through our dependence upon you. And may we glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen.